Hey everyone, Chat Cemetery is back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and I am joined by Tim Matthews. Today we're talking about 11-22-63, the Hulu adaptation that came out in 2016. Before we dive in, though, Tim and I are both aware of the allegations against James Franco and that some stuff was settled and while we do have to talk about James Franco because he is the star of this show, if it's something you don't want to listen to, we totally understand. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Excited to talk about some some Stephen King, some JFK, some conspiracy, you know. It's always a good time, I guess. <laughs> it's one of those things where this is by far the probably most heavily researched King novel because of how much it is relying on actual factual history to tell its story despite the story still being fictional. Yeah, when I was reading uh, about uh, trying to read up on some stuff after I finished rewatching the series, I saw, I guess there was... um, Stephen King had like some idea of, you know, he just, he was really a fan of these characters and uh, thought about, oh, how could I continue it? But um, part of, part of why he didn't was, you know, nerves of trying to follow up something that was so beloved. Uh, And then, and the other was, he mentioned just how like intensive the research of these are there's real people involved, there's real timeline of events, and then you're adding time travel into it and trying to trying to make sure that he kind of covers his bases so that you don't have some realistic fact not correct, and then all of a sudden all your fantasy stuff is going to fall apart, which is time travel's hard enough. Right, and one interesting thing about the book is that he had started writing this when he was like 24 and it was under a different name and he kind of abandoned it because of how much he was sort of diving into real history as well and obviously I'm glad he returned to it but there's also a bit of a funny story as to how this all got started because there was a moment in time where this was supposed to just be a feature film and Jonathan Dem, who did The Silence of the Lambs, was the one who wanted to make it into a feature film. But then King ended up getting in touch with J.J. Abrams and J.J. got involved with it. And then, you know, apparently Franco had tried to contact King about doing a show or movie for this. And, you know, J.J. basically beat him to it. But then J.J. had read James Franco's review of the book that I guess was published in Vice and then asked Franco to be the lead in this. So kind of a wild turn of events there from going from, you know, Jonathan Dam to what we see on the screen for the Hulu adaptation. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw I saw that, you know, Franco apparently was such a huge fan of the book and, and the character as well and identified with different aspects of the character. And uh, so it, it's it is it is pretty wild how it all kind of seems to have worked out the way it was supposed to. Um, I didn't know that it was going to be potentially be a film that we mentioned, you know, prior to recording. I haven't read the book, but I I have put it on my desk several times and seen how long it is and this series is what eight episodes Uh, like 
I just can't imagine what what you would trim to make this fit in a movie. Like, I just cannot imagine it working. Especially considering they took out, like, a pretty huge chunk of the book already. I would imagine, yeah. We'll get to that in a bit, because it's a very specific thing that they took out that comes to play at the beginning and towards the end of the book. But... I think one of the things that stood out to me was really the supporting cast. You have James Franco in the lead role as Jake Amberson, or Jake Epping, if you will. <laughs> and then you have Sarah Gadon. Gadon? I'm not 100% sure which way her last name is pronounced, but she plays Sadie Dunhill. You have George McKay as Bill, Chris Cooper as Al Templeton, you have Cherry Jones playing Lee Harvey's mother. You have Daniel Weber playing Lee Harvey Oswald. You also have a Josh Dumel appearance for, you know, half of the episodes. <laughs> you have Tanya Pinkins playing Ms. Mimi. And you have just so many familiar faces. And then you have Gil Bellows coming into play for two episodes. And he was in... The Shawshank Redemption. So he's someone who's returning. And you know me, I like to pick those things out when <laughs> covering the adaptations, because so many people have returned. And you have, you know, Leon Rippey, who has been in tons of stuff as Harry Dunning. And it's just so many familiar faces that, you know, it wasn't even James Franco's performance for me that made me like this. And we'll talk about some of the problems because I actually liked this less on a second watch than I did the first time around. And I think it's because the first time around I had not read the book yet. That's fair. Um, yeah, the, the, the cast is, uh, extraordinary. Um, and the, um, I mean, D Daniel Weber is Lee Harvey Oswald does such, uh, such a great job, um, in that role. Um, and, uh, I mean, yes, Sarah, get on. Uh, she, I mean, she is absolutely wonderful as, as Sadie forever charming. Uh, she can reach those, the, the emotions that just leave you feeling gut wrenched while you're sitting there watch, watching her performance on screen. You know, it's, um, the, the range of, of so many of these characters, George, uh, McKay as, as Bill. Absolutely. Um, I know it's, I had forgotten from the first time I watched cause I watched it when it first came out and then, you know, and then I watched it again for the podcast. So it's been quite a while and I kind of totally forgotten about Bill's part in this. And so as that was unfolding, um, I found myself just completely enthralled by, uh, by that storyline all over again. And I mean, you can't have a Stephen King adaptation without uh, without somebody who has been in a prior Stephen King adaptation. It's like almost a rule. Sometimes it really does feel that way. And, <laughs> you know, there's some upcoming stuff where I'm like, oh, these people are all back. And, you know, <laughs> it's always fun to make those connections. But story-wise, I kind of want to kick this off with talking about some of the differences because you mentioned Bill and how prominent his character is, despite both of us kind of forgetting about that whole storyline. <laughs> but in the book, Bill is, one, much older, and two, does not travel with Jake. Oh, wow. So that's a pretty huge, uh, huge addition then to the story. Yeah. So his character is kind of 
acting like a proxy so that the story is kind of taken out of Jake's head. Yeah, you need you you always see that in, you know, kind of really anything. You see it a lot with the, you know, even like the superhero stuff. The man in the chair uh or or person in the chair what uh what have you is um kind of always seems to be a character that gets placed in there so that the main character who's usually off on their own has somebody to talk to and maybe bounce some you know the typical dialogue that that they might say you know in their head in narration if they don't want to go in a narration route um which can be dicey sometimes it's really cool and sometimes not it's probably a good idea that they didn't do that with this one and uh, I really, I really enjoyed the addition of Bill. So um, when I do get around to reading the book, that's kind of a, kind of a bummer. But it also makes it exciting to know that the there's gonna, I mean, obviously I knew there would be so much in the book that's not in the show. But it's exciting that there's like key plot stuff that'll be different. So I may not know what to expect. Yeah. So one of the other things that ties to Bill is, you know, he's in Holden, Kentucky, and that's where Harry's family lives when he's a young boy. And all of that storyline in the book takes place in Derry. I did. Uh, I did hear that that um, Derry was uh, kind of this whole like segment of the of the book, and I did spoil that for myself. Which, while it is such a cool sounding tie-in, I guess it does kind of make sense if you want this to be more of a standalone thing and not not feel like audiences need to on one hand maybe you don't want audiences to kind of be like oh what's going on here and on the other hand if you start to introduce some of those aspects from that scene audiences may be bummed out if it doesn't go kind of all in on it uh, because it is such a prominent um, feature I was trying to be dance around it I didn't know how much you wanted (laughs) wanted to openly say Well, it's just odd to me that they would cut out this entire storyline being in this very Stephen King specific place that has so much history within his novels. Because Jake is from Maine. Harry is a janitor at his school. It doesn't really make sense for him to grow up in small town Kentucky and then just end up in a random small town in Maine years later. Yeah, I I guess I, you know, I can, I can see that too. Um, I, I would have been, you know, personally fine with it if they, if they included it, but I would imagine if they felt they didn't have the time to, to give that storyline, maybe that's why they took it out of there. Maybe it was a rights thing. Uh, who knows how those contracts work from time to time. Well, plus they take out the whole storyline with Jake meeting a couple of the kids from it. Right. And I, I think you definitely, you, you easily could have kept dairy in there even if you cut out all of that stuff because i mean how many times do things just take place in dairy and if you don't mention anything other than dairy then no one's no one's gonna bat an eye so it is interesting that they didn't call it dairy if jj and hulu were able to do a castle rock show i don't see why they wouldn't have been able to include dairy because you know castle rocks appeared in so many other adaptations i don't know if you can necessarily own the rights to a fictional city. I'm trying to think in 2016. Was this made in 2016? So I know 2016's in the show. It's when it came out. And also that's another difference because the book 
takes place the year the book came out. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so the only thing I could think of is because wasn't the new It in 2016? 2017. That was 2017? So I wonder if maybe there was... Uh, I just feel like there's so many weird type of rights of like, well, you can't use this because we're using it right now, which doesn't really make sense, but I can only imagine there was just some weird contract thing because otherwise I can't really think why they wouldn't why they wouldn't want want to use it. I would imagine if they were allowed to, they they would. And then Castle Rock came out later, so but Well, they made a lot of changes that didn't really make sense to me. Like in the book, when he time travels, he goes back to 1958, not 1960. So they cut his time almost in half. Yeah, the I did read the, the showrunner or the writer did specifically talk about that that was a conscious decision um because they knew they knew how many episodes they were working with and they wanted to keep they wanted to keep the show moving um and they knew how much time they they already needed to to stretch um you know then they talk about how you know in a lot of like time travel stuff people go back and forth between timelines but in this like with the concept of he goes back and he has to remain there i mean you get some like flashback stuff of his conversations with al um but he can't go back to the future um, until because then if he goes back in, then he resets all he does. So it was a, a conscious decision, apparently, if they they just wanted to condense the timeline so that they could keep the story moving while still spend a decent amount of time in the past without, I guess, probably making it feel like, oh, suddenly we're in 59, suddenly we're in 60, suddenly we're in 61. I get that concept of it if you if you don't want if you don't want to feel like you're breezing through the years but you also want to spend as much time and keep the the story running smooth i think just after having read the book now i was like oh i don't like this as much as i did the first time around for sure and it was one of those things where i was going through it and i was like oh they actually changed way more than i thought they would for this story because you know Bill throws a wrench in the plans down the line because he falls in love with Marina and he adds this whole element to the storyline that just did not exist and did not take Jake's attention away from what was happening. Yeah, but I mean, I think, I guess you can, you're always going to notice stuff, uh, you know, in the books versus the adaptations. And there's always the, the endless debate of, whether you like the book more, whether you like the uh, the movie more, the show more, um, I I kind of think of it mostly in. And granted, I haven't read the book, but um, in rewatching the the series again, still not having read the book, I was still just as enthralled with the storylines. Um, I really enjoyed Bill's stuff. I I like that he kind of gets involved in. Um, Oswald's life and um and kind of throw throws a wrench into that and I kind of when I think about it think of like The Shining where I love the book and I love the Stanley Kubrick movie um the Stanley Kubrick movie is not a perfect adaptation of the shining of the book oh it's a terrible yeah. adaptation of the book but it's an incredible film and so it's like i can i can kind of just enjoy them separately and granted i haven't read the book of this one 
Um, but it's that's kind of the mentality I would go into it with for for myself is I think as an eight episode TV series, I think this told a very compelling story that really falls onto a simple concept that really is probably a question that like so many people have sat around a sat around a fire and like talked about of just like if you could go back in time, you know, what would you change and who you know it's everyone always they they, they even use it in the show. It's just like kill hit you know kill baby hitler you know it's like things like things like that it's a i would save jfk and um and uh so it's it's i think it i think it works very well as a even if it's streamlined in some places and um and and changed from the book at least as a as a tv series on its own i think it works very well where as sometimes on the stephen king miniseries regardless of whether or not it stays close to the book or different from the book, the series itself is still not very good. So this one kind of lucks out in, at least for me, um, still after all this time, um, very much enjoying, um, enjoying it as a series. I just ended up finding Bill extremely annoying by the end of, you know, that whole situation at the apartment that him and Jake are sharing to surveil Lee Harvey Oswald because he brings up this argument like, well, how come you get to date Sadie? And in my head, I was immediately like, well, Sadie isn't married <laughs> to the guy who is being surveilled by you two. Yeah, but I think I think it's very much, you know, Bill's a guy who uh, got himself roped into this insane time travel situation He and left this this small town comes to the city. You constantly see him just being way in over his head and the complete utter wrong person for this job. But he didn't get roped into it. He volunteered because Jake tried to get him to go home. Right. But it's like once you once you're in Bill's situation and he's like in this small town and now all of a sudden it's like it's like, oh, my God, like time travel's real and I have a chance to do something great and get out of here. But then he threw it all out the window. So <laughs> Absolutely. But I think I think it's because he he was the complete wrong person for the job. But he pushes himself along. Jake gives him a chance, several chances, and then finally he's way too much of a problem and Jake has to get him out of there. But then, of course, unfortunately, one, I, you have Jake. He's a good person, so he feels guilt about it once he, you know, remembers it. But then he also needs him to help him get his memory back. So, I mean, I definitely agree. There are times that he certainly gets annoying because of how much he's, like, screwing things up. But I kind of feel like that's the point, you know, and maybe it goes on too long. Uh, that's certainly possible. But, yeah, I think I think it kind of worked and made it made made sense overall in that it's just like he just he just should not have been involved at all and didn't have the strength or the intelligence to care about really what was at stake he's a selfish kid who just went in the big city and suddenly has all this stuff that he wants and then can't have and then just gets pissed off at Jake for it so he he definitely he had to go but i i can certainly understand it from uh from the other side and if he's not involved in the book, then it's just this thing that may feel like it goes on. 
Well, he's also like in his 60s or something in the book. So he's like a totally different character. And I think this was the change I clearly did not like really at all after, you know, having read the book. And, you know, I vaguely remembered some of this from the first time I watched it. And I remember, you know, still getting annoyed with Bill then too. But for me, you know, it was a lot of the other characters like Sadie, Ms. Mimi, Deke, and a lot of that stayed very true to the book. And I think that's what kind of saves this adaptation a little for me because, you know, we spend a lot of time away from Bill. You know, it's just that when Jake is at the apartment, Bill has to be there because that's kind of, you know, where he's living full time, whereas Jake is bouncing back and forth. So it was more so the story in Jody that appealed to me, whereas, you know, in the book, it's Jake doing all of this stuff by himself. And I think they could have made it work without Bill if they really wanted to. They would have just had to cut down the scenes or maybe focus more on what Marina and Lee were doing instead of focusing on, you know, Jake in the apartment. So there are ways they could have made it work, but I get why they did add Bill. I'm just not a huge fan of it. But other story elements make up for it, like I said. So for you, how did you feel about the story in Jody in particular? I absolutely loved it. I mean, I I really like that at the core of all this, you know, it's like I I come to I come to this series with an interest in Stephen King and an interest in JFK, the assassination. When I was a kid, we went to the, uh, we drove cross country and on the way we stopped through Dallas and went to the sixth floor, uh, museum. And so like that was, that blew my mind. Like all this, you know, all this crazy information and the stuff that doesn't add up and then the stuff that kind of ties together um and makes you and makes you want to grab like the you know the red strings and you know put them up on the wall which i really liked how they did that with like the credits and even when they you know went to um like a new location it said like the name of the town or the time uh there was like a little like red like piece of yarn uh under that faded away but you know so it's like i came to the adaptation with those heavily in 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 my interest. And so I'm like, Oh, cool. It's going to be this, uh, this dive into the conspiracies and it's tied to Stephen King. But then when you spend all this time in Jody, the core of the story is a love story. And I think they handle it. I think they handle it really well. I think so many of the characters are just so enjoyable to spend so much time with, you know, especially Jake and Sadie. But I also really like his relationship with Deke. And, you know, Deke is like basically trying to, you know, he feels like Jake's this good guy and I'm going to like kind of take him under my wing. Then Jake screws up and he kind of just becomes this like, I don't know, like scolding father like to him, like. Like, I can't believe, can't believe you're doing this. And, um, but ultimately I like that they kind of like stick in his life that even when, when Jake screws up and they kind of like separate from his life for a bit, when they come back into it, like, you know, after, after she gets injured and, and then even after his accident, they're all at the hospital together. Really. I mean, Miss Mimi is such a great character. Um, she's so funny with Jake. That is a hugely, um, enjoyable part of the uh part of the show and 
so as as much as I like, you know, all the stuff with like the conspiracy and everything, I, I definitely agree with you that the the Jody side of it is probably the strongest, um, the strongest core of the show. And probably is supposed to be, because I think really even when you get, you know, to the end and everything, it's all about him wanting to get back to Sadie and coming to terms with, you know, leaving the life the way it is. So all all around that's done really well. The stuff with her husband, ex-husband is terrifying. And that's not to say that Jake doesn't also get in over his head because yes. we know from the start that traveling back in time to this time period where, you know, he wasn't even born. He wasn't even a kid during this time period. And you have that moment in the phone booth where he's trying to call his dad and, you know, you get all this weird feedback and then someone crashes into the phone booth and stuff. And you also have the fact that, you know, he knows who wins all the fights in what round, whether it's a knockout or what. And you have that whole scenario with the bookies. And there are just so many things that add this element of tension and fear for Jake and even Sadie at times because of, like you said, her husband. And it's one of those stories where you can tell that the accuracy of the real historical events adds another layer to it that we don't normally get. But because Jody is a small town as well, and everyone knows everyone, everyone talks mm-hmm. and gossips. It still feels like a Stephen King story, even though you're adding all of these real life events in and you're sort of just twisting them to fit this fictional narrative. And I really liked how that still came across in the adaptation because they keep saying over and over again, you know, it's the past pushing back and. Obviously, you can't time travel, you can't change the past, but the way that it is presented here, it's like, okay, if you could time travel, this is probably what would happen. Yeah, I really, really, um, really, really dug the how they uh, present time travel in this show. And I, I love how the, the there are like, real true like moments of like thriller and horror like in in this show um that feel very Stephen King um you know it's sometimes I feel like you start watching something like this or if you were to read you know the synopsis of it you might think oh this is probably more along the lines of like Shawshank type Stephen King or Green Mile type Stephen King because you're not necessarily going to expect that those horror elements will be as strong as they are um and but they there were thing things in this that it um you know it's just you shouldn't be here um you know the car uh crashing into it you know it's it's such a cool and i feel like unique idea of the past pushing back and that especially that there are these moments in time that are so key to history that the closer you get to that moment the more the more time pushes back. You know, he could probably hang out back in time. And as long as he's not really messing with stuff, time's probably not going to bother him. But, you know, it's when you get to them, you know, rushing, uh, you know, on the actual day and they're like rushing through the crowd, uh, the car 
chases after them and crashes into the bus. As they're going through the crowd, they're seeing people from their past. Um, and uh, that, it's such a, such a very cool and uh, well-done uh, take on time travel. And I, that's probably, probably one of my favorite things about this, um, about this series uh, and, this, and this story. And then especially when they dive into with, uh, I don't know if, do we ever get the name of the, um, of the guy who keeps saying to him, like, you shouldn't be here? No, he's just known as the yellow card man. Okay. Um, so with him, I really like that concept of, and you, you get more of an understanding of it in the end when Jake first goes back of this, it's got you stuck in the loop. It's got you hooked. It, you know, it's, I, that's a really cool idea of just like Jake learned his lesson essentially of like, Oh my gosh, like I shouldn't have changed the past. Let me go back. But then you see the potential of what could happen. Like with this guy that is just, he is just so hooked in almost like a drug and just cannot get out of it. And will just forever be trying to fix this and never can. And that in itself is truly horrific. Yeah. I think a lot of the story elements did come together really well in the end. And, you know, by that time, <laughs> spoiler here for anyone who hasn't seen this, Bill has committed suicide. And then it's like they finally get to get back to Jake's goal and his mission. And you see him rushing to, you know, not only remember everything, but just to get it done in time. Because it's like, this is a thing where... It's not, oh, it's okay if you're five minutes late, you know? When the accident happens and now it's like, oh, he has to get his memory back. That was uh, a point in the show that, uh, at least on this watch, as I was, as I, as it was like unraveling, I started to wonder, I'm like, oh no. I was like, is this, is this going to like slow, is this going to like slow things down of just oh, now we kind of have to like catch up on things and we need in. And, and I was a little nervous about it, but I think because of the surrounding of the, the, the rest of the ensemble helping him figure things out and their performances, I think is what keeps, keeps that so interesting. Cause I feel like that type of, that type of aspect to the story of just like, oh, of course, like now he's, lost his memory and he's got to get it back. I feel like that can go wrong so easily, but they, they did it. They did it nicely and they didn't spend too much time on it, but I do feel I, and I can't speak for this cause I haven't read the book, but I feel like, um, with a show, you probably have to like hurry it along a bit, a bit more where maybe with the book, because you can kind of get into his head, maybe you can spend more time with it and flesh that out. Um, so I'm not sure how that how that part like played out with the book. Well, as far as you know, the scenes at the apartment by Lee and Marina, you see Jake interacting with people maybe maybe a little more and you know they had that scenario where the guy came in and stole all of the equipment and stuff like that, but you have just a little more going on in the book with, you know, Jake in that scenario because Bill isn't there. But at the same time, like you said, you know, you can't really have him just in his head all the time. So it makes sense that they gave him someone 
living in the apartment to talk to. But I feel like there's so much in the book that maybe doesn't necessarily directly affect the end goal in this or the end result, if you will, but was still interesting to read. Like the whole thing with Derry, I was like, okay, this is King making this larger connection to this universe because to ignore the fact that certain characters existed in Derry during that time period, especially because in the book, Jake goes back to 1958. It's like, that's way too close to just ignore that these kids are there. Right. So moving that, it it kind of changes the dynamic and how important Maine is to the story. Yeah, I think the focus of the show definitely ties way more into Texas. And Maine is just kind of the, the destination home aspect to it. You know, the, the Wizard of Oz, no place from home type thing. I want to say... I want to say like a third of the book took place in Maine, though. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I can't I, I can't speak for necessarily what was in the book. It just that it seems like the show directed most of the focus to um, to Texas and and left left Maine as this connection that he that he makes with Sadie on a personal level. And the fact that it is his eventual true destination uh to head home um so it's i mean i i definitely would have been all for it if the um uh you know if the show spent way more time in maine i would have been all for it if the show was uh was longer maybe if if maybe if it was multiple well I, i guess it's hard to do multiple seasons because it's then you know it's especially when you set a timeline on it um, where it's you have to get to the assassinated JFK. It's like with a TV series, you can't drag that as the audience is start starting to get it. will start to get annoyed uh, or general audiences, at least um, someone who's steeped into Stephen King or this type of storytelling would be, would likely be really into it. But I mean, they spend like a full episode or two in, Kentucky. So it's like they could have just kept that as dairy and it would have, I think, been more effective as a tie to the Stephen King universe as a whole. And, you know, we discussed that already. But to talk about Holden and go back a little here, that's where Harry's family is. And in the present day, we see that Harry is part of the GED program, that Jake is teaching because he needs the extra money. He's going through a divorce. So he has this personal stuff going on. And then he's thrown into this and he's like, okay, well, what can I do that would help this person who I specifically know in my time? And you see how by the end of it, how wrong things go, even though he tried to do the right thing. And it just goes to show that you can't really accurately play the what if game. Sure, you know, plenty of people have had this story run through their head. What if JFK wasn't assassinated? Mm-hmm. King obviously took the liberty to write down his version yeah. of events, but it's like no one is going to know. No one will ever know. You can't change it. And this book just goes to show that even if you have the best of intentions, 
things aren't always going to go the way you want them to, or the way that in this case, Al wants them to in particular. And there are just so many events where Jake is doing the right thing. And, you know, having read the book and us having watched this already, we kind of, you know, we know how it's going to end. But what did you think of, one, the scenes in Holden where he's trying to help Harry as a small child, and then two, the ending, because we see how it directly affected Harry in particular. So I think these two two things kind of tie together nicely. Yeah, I really dug his trip to to Holden to try and to try and help his colleague, and especially when we know from the back into the present time that he knows. Even though he tried to help him by, he's like, "Oh, I'm going to write this letter of recommendation." That doesn't help him. So when he's back in the past, and I feel like especially unraveling with the idea that things aren't working that the way they're supposed to, and he he feels like he just need has this need that I need to fix something. If I can't fix this, I'm going to fix this then. And he knows what he sees in the map. Then he can go to Holden, and um, so I I really like how it's. Th- like this moment of desperation of him just trying to prove I can fix this. I can fix someone's life for the better. Um, and I think uh, as he, as he's getting into that storyline, it's done really well as we were talking about how he gets himself in over his head. I think as he starts having a conversation with the father, you know, and especially when they go to like the slaughterhouse, uh, which is definitely um, that in that level of, you know, thriller horror, like that uh, scenes. I mean, that's a like really tense. I like that. Yeah. He wants to help Harry, but uh, maybe this would, maybe there was, you know, a lot more to this than, than I expected, but he's already in it and he's, he's got to do it. And he knows that, I have to, I have to pull this off and it of course goes horribly wrong but I think he feels like all right at least at least I helped and then as they tie that into the end um it it it's it is incredibly emotional how that's how that's handled that almost like when you first see him in the new present time where everything's a disaster uh you start you start to think or Jake's thinking, um, well, he's still here. And maybe even though I'll figure out what the heck happened. Um, you know, I saved JFK. Things were supposed to get better. I'll figure out all that, but Hey, maybe at least I did the right thing with him. When he starts to realize maybe I shouldn't have saved JFK. He's also the fact that he's also realizing maybe I shouldn't have stopped his family from being murdered. And that's, that's incredibly heart wrenching, but, um, you know, when Harry breaks down and he's like, you know, you, you killed him, but you know, he was a bad person, but he was my dad to just, to just think of it from, from that aspect and him knowing that even if he goes back to fix like the JFK thing, I think it, I think that is a really nice touchstone because I think that lesson leads to him making the ultimate decision of, I can't make my life with Sadie work either because I can't fix the JFK thing. I can't fix Harry's life. If I try and be selfish and 
make my life with Sadie, who knows what that ripples into the future. And I think he, I think, so I think the, I think the Harry story is, is really, really key to his inevitable realization of what the right decision is. And that's done really well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because without him wanting to do this extra task, basically, of his own volition, you know, you wouldn't have that same feeling that, okay, yes, Jake is inherently this good guy who, you know, is maybe down on his luck a little, wants to do something nice for someone else that would impact their life in a hopefully positive way. But when you learn it didn't, and plus then you have everything with JFK factoring in on top of that, you just go back to this present day that is fairly apocalyptic, really, you know, it's not like there's zombies and things like that. But you have these kids who are going around beating up people, you have this lady on her bike, and he's asking her what year it is and things like this when he gets back. But, you know, it really just ends in a way where you have that happen. And he's like, okay, I have to undo everything. I just spent years, but really only two minutes yeah. doing because <laughs> time travel. And you see how much he loses by having to do that. But at the same time, he's restoring things to a better place. So even though he's going to lose that relationship with Sadie, I mean, he will remember it but it's something she won't remember. And, you know, at the same time, it brings her back to life because, you know, spoiler, she dies too. <laughs> and, you know, it's such a nice ending, though, that he resets it and then he finds older Sadie in Jody still. And she's receiving the Woman of the Year award and they're putting on this little party for her. And it's just a sweet ending. And honestly, King could have ended it with him going back, realizing everything was terrible, and just cutting it off there. And honestly, when in in my memory of the series, that's where it ends when he like comes out of it. And then I thought I remembered it just like when he's like, he's like, what the uh, what the fuck happened to the diner? And I thought I remembered like because the diner was destroyed, like he couldn't go back or something. Um, and so my memory had it like kind of in that much darker ending, which frankly, I agree. Like I would have kind of expected Stephen King's ending to just be a bit more, a bit more dour of, of the, the lesson here is um, leave the past alone because you could destroy the world. <laughs> you know? um, and so it's, it is a it is a much more positive and and heartfelt um, and bittersweet uh, ending. Um, the other stuff with the ending that I liked falls into like with the uh, the Oswald stuff. I feel like you very easily could have Stephen King could have given his own answers to why Oswald was doing it. Um, he could have gone the route of answering questions of oh there was a second gunner and this is who it was and this is how this happened like he could have given all those answers and there's a part of me when I'm watching it where I'm like man like I want those answers like I want that uh I want that big conspiracy reveal but 
when I sit back and I just think about the the storytelling, it's it's done it's done so much so much better by uh when he's in the car with the with the FBI guy. Hosty. Yeah. And he's just like he's just like, here you are, you're this you're this hero, you saved JFK. You you could have everything, but you just want your privacy. And he's like, So I just want to know it's like, why do you think Oswald did it? And for him to just say, I don't think we'll ever know. And just leaving the history at that, um, I thought was a really smart choice because I think the kind of the the easy the easy conspiracy excitement answer definitely would have been, oh, he he did it for this reason and all these people were involved. But I, I, I like the more subtle the subtle ending with that, that then you can wrap up that part of the story. Um so that way you can just then focus on Jake and Sadie at the end without having the punch be the conspiracy because it's not really about the conspiracy that's the the driving force of what gets us going and then it digs so much deeper in all these different uh, directions yeah i think overall this was fine i'm probably not going to revisit it for a third time though now that i've seen it twice and after having read the book i think i would probably much rather revisit the book at some point versus this but I'm hoping that they still keep putting things out on Hulu because I think they have an interesting thing going here between this and then what they did with Castle Rock, which was not a direct adaptation of anything, but it got to play in the Stephen King universe. And I do like having a mini series that doesn't need to be more than eight or 10 episodes. It's like you're in for a season and then you're done, whereas some things in the past have gone on way too long like the under the dome or the dead zone shows <laughs> yeah i can definitely say i haven't watched those um yeah i i'm definitely more positive on the on the the series overall um but who knows after i read the book uh i may feel uh differently but i agree like just uh, give me more and whether it's straight adaptations of things um do them as limited series uh, or, or even I, I'm personally pretty disappointed that we didn't get a third season of Castle Rock because uh, that was definitely a fun world to play in where they tied seasons together kind of um, yeah. but overall you just got to you just got to spend um, you got to spend time in this original take that also kind of fit into things like especially season two like after watching season two and then recently watching uh, the movie Misery again, it was like having that show in my head, even though I'm like, I don't think this that's necessarily canon, but it kind of like adds to it for me. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and season three would have been awesome, but they canceled it and that's dumb. <laughs> I'd give this a three out of five, though. Like I didn't absolutely hate it, but I think bill's character brought it down a lot for me i definitely get that especially a scene in the book that you really 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 like and see that that gets chucked away and then replaced by a story that you don't necessarily like um i i I can definitely understand that and some of the stuff with bill certainly does go on too long and 
it's kind of like how much can he really screw this up but overall i'd still i never know how to rank these things but i'd probably still give it like a, a four out of five i'd probably keep keep that one star away for some of the things that it uh definitely could have uh paced better you mentioned the guy there's there's like the moment with uh when Sadie uncovers like the recording in the basement, mm-hmm. there's a guy that moves like in the back in the shadows. And I don't know if that was ever addressed. Are we just supposed to assume it was the FBI? I thought it was her husband. Oh, uh, okay. Because when he signed the divorce papers, he left a note. He's not who you think he is. That's right. Yeah, that would make sense. Okay. And I don't think the FBI knew about Jake at that point in time. Yeah. All right. So I'll take that criticism away. But <laughs> but uh, but still, yeah, overall, just really solid series. Uh, if you haven't watched it and you listen to all this, I'm sorry. There's still a lot. But, yeah, there's still a lot we didn't cover. But again, with the whole James Franco thing, too, if you don't want to watch this, we totally get it. Also get that. Yeah. I will say I think he does a, v- a very nice job with the character. On this watch, I felt like his performance was weaker than i remembered in certain spots he's not the most interesting character with the way this adaptation was done in my opinion okay well and that excites me to uh to jump into the book and and see see more from the character so yeah definitely enjoyed it thoroughly enjoyed uh talking about it as always and um I had a good time. Yeah, you'll have to let me know your thoughts when you get around to reading the book, which I understand can take a while. Not everyone (laughs) flies through these things like I do. And, you know, even lately, I've been in like this slump for reading because I've just been busy doing other things. And I'm like, I really need to read, but I also don't feel like thinking right now. (laughs) (laughs) So trust me, I get it, especially with a book as long as 112263. But Tim, thank you for joining me to discuss this adaptation. I'm actually kind of glad we didn't completely agree on it. It seems we do that a lot. So it was nice to have that little discussion there about Bill. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Always a good time. Happy to be here. All right, that does it for this episode of Chat Cemetery. You can support the podcast on Patreon for a dollar a month. You'll get a thank you on the show for $2 a month. I will send you a Chat Cemetery sticker. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so at Chat Cemetery on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You could also rate and review the show. That's a huge help. And as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.